Welcome back. Nate Williams here again. Thursday night heading into the weekend. And I came across an article that I thought was interesting. And uh, it talks about a great verse, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Uh, you version reveals its most popular verse for 2023. Uh, people are searching for hope and peace. And here is the verse. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And it's a great verse. Obviously, when you're reading the Bible, you have to remember context. All right, was this written for God's people in general, for Israelites, for the for for Judah when the kingdoms uh, split? Was this written? Well, what's the context? You need to remember that as well. But sometimes verses are general enough, and there's general wisdom, general teaching and principles that can apply no matter who you are and your situation. And that's what a lot of people think this verse does. It's, it's generic enough to still apply to us thousands of years later. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I'm your God. And it made me think about something. One thing we have to always guard against is living in fear, acting out because we're afraid. And sometimes I think that's what we do in America as the Christians, the, the church in America. We are afraid of not being relevant. We're afraid of losing whatever political power we have or think we have or used to have. And so a lot of our actions are dictated by fear. We're afraid that if we do not have control, if we don't act up, if we don't speak out, then all is lost for the kingdom of God. All is lost for our safety. And I think that there's something to that a little bit. For example, we're not supposed to be passive, weak-willed. We're not supposed to be silent in the face of evil. So, yes, we are supposed to act in certain ways. I understand. Uh, God wants us to be bold. We are to defend the defenseless, speak for those with no voice. I understand. Uh, we are supposed to take action. But also there's a part of it as we view ourselves as heroes or we have this kind of church hero complex that if I do not do this thing, if we do not do this thing, all is lost. Christianity goes down the drain. It's uh, if we fail... God cannot advance and move because it's all on you and me. The weight of the world, the truth of the gospel is on us. And let me just tell you that's not true. If you and I, the listeners of the show, if we were the last Christians on earth, and let's say the church had almost in terms of numbers of people who say they're Christians and follow Jesus, if they dwindle down to two, just you and me, Christianity would still be true. You know why? The tomb's empty. Jesus has risen. 
Now, obviously, we do hope that there are more than two Christians out there. Yeah, I get it. And uh, it's definitely hard to spread the gospel if there's just two Christians on the face of the earth. Okay, so, so there's some practical aspects. But I hope you get what I'm saying, that we, we don't need to play hero ball. Now, I used to play basketball in various leagues, and I was fine, not amazing. But there was this concept of hero ball. And if you know basketball, you know what I'm talking about. You had one person who was a ball hog. And they would dribble a ton. They always had to shoot. And and because the defense knew they were going to be the ones taking the shot, they would double and triple team them because, oh, this person's not passing. And that person, typically the coach's son, but whatever, you know, we won't won't name names. Uh, Typically, this person would take the most awkward, weird shots or would turn the ball over because, again, in their thinking, it was, I had to shoot. I had to win the game. I had to do everything myself or 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 all it was all for nothing. And typically we would lose anyway, so it's kind of a moot point. But hero ball does not work in basketball. One person being a ball hog trying to do everything. It also doesn't work in Christianity either. So maybe this is your mindset or the mindset of your church, association, denomination, whatever you're a part of. But God, I'm, I'm going to say this, and it sounds weird, and I don't mean to be insulting. God does not need you. God does not need me. Now, it is an honor and a privilege and a joy to be able to, to exist and live and to serve God and glorify him, and we're going to do this till we go see Jesus. That's what we're going to do. But, 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 again... You think about Jesus being born in a lowly manger. It's Christmas season. You think about the the disciples. Many of them were fishermen. And, well, fishermen didn't have a lot of social status, did they? Think about a lot of the people in the early church, the, the poor and the, the needy and the afflicted and those with diseases before Jesus healed them or the, the, the apostles healed them. And that's who God used. That's that's who we wanted. That's who he wanted to spread the gospel across the globe. Yeah, you had your generals, your centurions, you had your kings and princes eventually. Eventually, the Roman Empire became Christianized. A lot of different opinions on that. But it, sure, yeah, eventually Christianity moved up the ranks and kings and princes were Christian, sure. But it goes to show that God can use anyone. And so as I go back to this verse, again, Isaiah 41, verse 10, I'll read it. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Beautiful verse. I love it. But we got to quit living in fear. We actually have to listen to this verse. So... We see the numbers, and I've talked about it on the show, so I'm not innocent of what I'm about to say. We see the numbers, oh, Christianity declining in America. We see the the rising numbers of atheists, secular, agnostic, spiritual, but not religious, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, not like Catholic nuns, but nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And we start to get afraid, like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Well, 
ladies and gentlemen, that's above our pay grade. That yes, we are to evangelize and there are things we're supposed to do. Go tell somebody about Jesus. Tell your neighbor, tell your coworker, tell your fellow student at your school. Go tell people about Jesus. Live the gospel. Help the poor and the needy. Be Defend those who have no voice. See, all those things do, but don't do it out of fear. Don't do it out of being afraid that we're going to lose our cultural position because whether or not we do, that tomb is empty. It's empty, and I know it's not Easter. We're going to get there, and he is risen, and right now we're focused more on the baby Jesus part of the life of Jesus, yes. But the tomb is empty. It's done. It's finished. It's all going to be okay. You know why? Because our Lord and Savior, he's risen. And whether there are different views on the end times there's post-millennialism there's pre-millennialism there's the left behind pre-trib rapture camp and then there's pre-wrath and post-trib and just different views on revelation and and in the rapture itself yeah okay i get it but all christians will agree that we win in the end whatever that looks like and whatever the timeline so as we read this verse Let's just remember that as we go and do what we're supposed to do, let our heart be right. Let our motivations be pure. That let's not live in a spirit of fear, fear that we're going to lose our cultural place and fear that we're losing this country. Because I love America. I'm not going to lie. I I love the United States. I'm a military kid, proud of this country. I think for all of our flaws, it's still a great place to live. I love the country, but Christianity does not need or does not depend on America. Let's be honest. Let's be real. Christianity existed before the United States and God forbid, but let's say something happens to the United States and it doesn't last, you know, too much longer. Again, hopefully it does, but I'm talking hypothetically. Christianity will still exist because again, the tomb is empty he is risen and so we're gonna win in the end whatever that looks like so go out and evangelize go out and start your ministries and do all those things but do it for the right reasons do it because god is true beautiful and good do it because the gospel is the good news of salvation Do it because the Bible's the word of God and we stand on it boldly, despite what other people may say. That's why we do it. Do it because we're sinners in need of a savior. Do it because in God there's peace and joy everlasting. Do it because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and you listen to the voice. You're comforted and you're guided into all truth. Not because we're afraid of what's going to happen in the 2024 presidential election. That's not why we do what we do. Don't do it because you see the South slowly become more secularized. Like, yeah, we'd like to reverse that, sure. But that's not why we do it. We do it because what we believe is true. The way I think of evangelism, uh, I might get his name wrong. I think it was D.T. Niles, but I could be wrong. Uh, The definition of of evangelism that I like is one beggar 
showing another beggar where to find food. That's all we're doing. And God, that that's where the answers lie. Bible, the gospel, truth, all of those things rest in God and his character and who he is. And that's why we do what we do. So again, going over this verse, I love it. But I think a lot of the church acts out because we're afraid. And if we're afraid, do we actually believe that we have the truth? Because if we have the truth, why are we afraid? Again, we hold fast to Jesus. And we lay our sins at the foot of the cross because there is forgiveness washed in the blood and we are set free forevermore. Friends, this is Truth 101.1 FM, WXJC. We are almost to the end of the show. We go till 7, and we'll have more Bible-related topics when we return. Nate Williams here, and uh, just if you're just joining us, Greg Davis has been out for tonight. He's had several speaking engagements, several meetings over the last couple days. He'll be in tomorrow with more good news, Christian values, because that's what we do here at Priority Talk. In the last segment, I talked about doing things, living out the life that God has for us, but for the right reasons. Don't do it out of a spirit of fear. That's not why we do what we do. Uh, We do it because God has so changed us and transformed us that we, as God has loved us, we seek to love others and live out a life of obedience. And part of the way, some of the reasons why I can be comfortable in my faith and confident in my faith is I study something called apologetics. Now, as I talk... uh, I've visited various churches and I've given different talks and, 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 and classes and all those things on apologetics. People inevitably ask me, apologetics sounds a lot like apologizing. And I really don't want to apologize for my faith, so why would I like apologetics? And to be fair, the words are very similar. But apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, 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 anyways, whatever, which means uh, a defense. So apologetics is giving a defense of the Christian faith. And that's what we try to do. And sometimes people will ask me, I'm interested in apologetics. I want to learn how to defend my faith and proclaim my faith. And I think that's wonderful. I think we all should have some baseline understanding of apologetics. And no, not all of us can become apologists, which are people who make it one of their main focuses in life to be an apologetics person. 
And not all of us can be apologists, but we are all supposed to have, in my opinion, some level of apologetics training. And people ask me, well, how do I get into this? What do I do? Here's my advice for you. Just different areas to study if the topic interests you and you want to be comfortable and confident and bold in proclaiming your faith. Here are some things I would kind of brush up on and I would cover if this interests you. Uh, you have the basics, which is sound theology and, and, and biblically faithful doctrine. You want to know your Bible. This doesn't have anything to do with apologetics per se, but it's, it's a foundation you want to have just in general for your Christian life. Read your Bible. Know good, sound Christian doctrine. Okay? Be able to talk about basic uh, theological terms like justification and sanctification. Be able to talk about the Bible a little bit. Like, what is the Bible? Well, the Bible's God's word. We believe it to be authoritative and inspired. And uh, so just be able to talk about the basics of Christian theology pretty well, I'd say. Also, in addition to this, you want to have mature character. Apologetics gets a bad rap because what you'll have is a lot of I'm, I'm going to roast myself here. So just know I don't mean this insulting to anyone. This is insulting to me the way I used to be. Not nerdy know-it-alls who are just obnoxious and they just want to argue. They just want to debate. They just they don't care about any relationships. They just want to make you look dumb. Those people who are in apologetics that are like that, they give apologetics as a whole a bad name because then people think, oh, all apologists are this way. They just want to argue and they're just jerks and they're meanie faces. And, and, and so then Christians don't want to get into apologetics because understandably they don't want to be like that. No, a good apologist has mature character. Your life is producing spiritual fruit. You're involved in your local church. You're a good listener. Again, good apologists know how to ask questions, good questions. I think someone, a couple people who are great with this, two come to mind. You have Greg Kokel, Stand a Reason. They have a podcast. Go check it out. Stand a Reason, wonderful organization, apologetics organization. He has a couple books on this, Tactics and Street Smarts. I'd go check out those resources. And then in addition to that, you have uh, Sean McDowell. Sean McDowell is the son of the famous apologist, one of the greatest names in the 1900s in apologetics, Josh McDowell. And Sean, I think, does a wonderful job. You can go watch his interviews with non-believers and just very respectful, great listener. It just comes across as sincere. So if you want to get into get into apologetics, try to develop good, a good mature character and don't make apologetics your life for the sake of winning arguments because that gets annoying. Moving on to apologetics itself as a field. If, if you want to have a well-rounded base, here are some things I would do. I would know two arguments for the existence of God and, and be comfortable with those. Whether it's the Kalam cosmological argument that everything that has a beginning um, has a cause for that beginning. Uh, that's, again, it can get real technical real fast. But basically, the beginning of the universe 
you need a beginner. You need a someone to create the universe. That's that's the cosmological argument. There's the moral argument, such as uh, you know, where does morality come from? Right and wrong, good and evil, and uh, that's an argument for God, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I would have a couple different ones just in my in my back pocket, just a couple I'm comfortable with. I'd also know the minimal facts argument for the resurrection, that the resurrection as a historical event can be defended. It can be, uh, you can do different things with that in a way that you can't do with the Quran or with the Hindu Buddhist scriptures. The resurrection is a historical event with uh, several testimonies about said event. You have the Gospels. And Gary Habermas developed an argument based off these things called the minimal facts argument. And then you have, uh, I would be able to defend the Bible against the average objection. You're going to hear a lot of different objections about the Bible. The Bible is anti-science. The Bible has a bunch of contradictions. The Bible contains miracles. And we all know that miracles cannot happen. I would be able to answer just some of the basic accusations about the Bible, some of the most common ones like contradictions and all that. And then finally, this is to have a well-rounded foundation in apologetics as a field. I would be able to defend the traditional Christian social stances. Can you talk about the pro-life issue fairly well. I'm not saying you need to be an expert, but just understand the general reasoning for and against the pro-life position and be able to talk about it. Can you defend the Christian, biblical, natural, traditional definition of marriage? One man, one woman for life. Can, can you do that? Do you know why that definition exists? You can talk scripture. I also like natural law where God just created the universe to function a certain way. And uh, so pro-life, pro-marriage, and then also because of transgender ideology, can you defend, uh, can you be pro-Christian, natural, biblical, traditional sexuality, which is men are men, women are women? Can you talk, uh, do you have some Bible verses about that? Can you talk some basic biology? All together, this is why last segment um, I talked about being confident in what you believe is true. And for me, some of that confidence comes from apologetics, being able to be able to, being able to be able. Wow, that is masterful English. Stuart is very disappointed in me. That's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll do better. Being able to defend your faith. In addition to apologetics, you also want a personal relationship with Jesus. This is more the experiential side. How are your quiet times? How is your devotional life? How is your prayer life? How is your time in silence and solitude and journaling and fasting and celebrating and, and fellowshipping with believers? Are, are you using the gifts of the Holy Spirit outlined in a couple different parts of the Bible, but particularly 1 Corinthians? Are you using the gifts of the Spirit to build up the body of, the, uh, body of Christ, the, the church? Just different avenues. Again, apologetics is highly intellectual, but your faith can't be only about the brain and the mind and, and, and doctrine. 
you also need the to develop the heart, which is your walk with God, your intimacy, your faith. Through that, you have the Christian disciplines. A, a term for that is spiritual formation. You want God to so form your spirit to be like Christ. Philippians talks about that. Philippians 3, among other places. Anyways, this is how you add all of this together. You, you have strong belief. You walk with God daily. He walks with me and talks with me. And your hands, you live and you serve and and you obey the commandments of God. Our faith is not an idle faith. And you do all those things together. Your faith will be a strong one and you can be confident in what you believe. So that going back to Isaiah 41 verse 10 from the last segment, uh, going back to, to that, that you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to fear why God is with you. He is your God. He will protect you, provide for you, nurture you. And I think that's greatly encouraging. So anyways, just some of my thoughts there. We're coming to the end of the show. We're almost at 7 o'clock. Again, it's wonderful to be able to talk with you. Priority Talk Radio. We're on Mondays through Fridays from 5 to 7. Make sure to check out our website, PriorityTalkRadio.com. A lot of great information is there. So as always, be praying, be reading your Bible, be active in your local church, and we'll be back tomorrow.